Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night, wherever time zone you are around the planet. It's great to have you here. Welcome to Office Hours. We're going to start up another day here. If you're watching on YouTube, remember you can find out more about what we do on officehours.global. Our first hour, general discussion of production and IT-related topics where we answer audience questions. So if you have submitted questions, if you've been here before, thank you. If you haven't, you can do them through the whole entire show. We will be spending most of our time trying our best with this fabulous expert panel that surrounds me today to uh, answer everything you bring up. Second hour is typically a deeper dive into a topic. And today we are ripping apart the curtain and allowing you to see behind the scenes on many of the panelists you might see here day to day. This is our ruthless review of panelists behind the scenes. I know a lot of us today have set up second cameras and what we're going to do basically is show you uh, what's behind the picture you're seeing of us, uh, how we light and shoot and what's surrounding us in terms of the tools we use for this. So that's all in the second hour. But for right now, we're going to dive into our questions. Mitch, what have we got here today? Thank you, Bill. Our first question coming into us from Andy Carluccio in San Francisco, California. Andy asks, Universe Control can now join Zoom meetings as a client through our SDK. Thoughts on the new feature and ideas for how to use or expand it? And we're very excited about this new uh, change in universe and how it works with Zoom. David Brady has some thoughts on it, David. Yeah, it, I actually bought into the light version of universe when they were on last year, I think it was. Um, this looks really compelling, if only for the fact that it's less uh, esoteric, I guess, than uh, Isadora might be for some automation. Um, I can see building out a control panel for a particular type of show using some of the universe controls and being able to hand that over to um, other producers who might not have the technical know-how to pull it all together on their own. So I'm going to be diving into that a little deeper. So this is one of those kind of uh, open this up and you have a simpler way to moderate the interface. So rather than having to know all the fiddly little bits of diving no, in and changing it, things. It doesn't even look like mod the interface. It's you can set up a control surface for lack of a better uh term and be able to hand that to somebody and they'll have the functions of a zoom client without the interface kind of things this is oh, how, nice. I'm, how i'm reading it ah so something like a stream deck could actually end up functionally becoming the switcher for your show and do most of it yeah, or the, that, the web buttons themselves yeah oh okay nice uh mitchell you had some thoughts yeah i just wanted to uh once again point out how lucky we are to have somebody of andy's uh caliber at zoom allowing these things to happen because we have such control over how we interface with uh, Zoom. And, you know, for the most part, uh, what you see right now on office hours is a product of that relationship with uh, Zoom and the fact that we can utilize all these great programs. So I applaud their uh, continued development and uh, expansion of their SDK. It's very handy to have that. And the pace of change just continues to accelerate. Guy, you had some thoughts? Yeah, like David, I went ahead and bought it at what, last year. And what I didn't realize is that the license was only for one year. So I just blew through 800 bucks. But uh, I was excited when I saw the video because uh, the stuff that I was building was more for my church where it was simple buttons so that a volunteer could walk in and we can have some presets to start stream, stop, start record, stop record, but also uh, move around the PTZ controls in a simple matter. So when I watched the video with the triggers, uh, it gave me some ideas as far as being able to fire off like if somebody puts their hand up um, in the Zoom meeting, spotlight them and then have a simple simple button to be able to, uh, uh, when they're done talking, uh, end the spotlight and go back to gallery view. So there, there's a lot of uh, 
triggers and cool things that you can do if you watch the video. It's it's pretty intriguing, but it's pretty pricey. And if you want the full lifetime license, remember it's like two grand. Well, Black Friday, we just for those of you that missed it, you missed it. it I think it was 30% off, but that one you do not have to renew every year. The other one, uh, I learned the hard way you have to renew. <laughs> well, terms and conditions are important. David, you had a thought? Yeah, I'm in the same boat guy. My, my license expired. And uh, so I might have to see if we can get a demo and see if the job will buy it. We'll figure yeah. something. I'll figure something out. Overall, though, I mean, this has been such a transition. I've been in this business a while, and I remember that uh, – the, the the huge changes in how production, kind of the underpinnings of how production worked, they were so slow to evolve, uh, moving from traditional analog production tools into the digital era. It came over many years, slowly but surely tools that, you know, were all video over IP became more, more apart, but it took a long time. Since the pandemic and since everything switched to this idea of so many individuals are able to produce content through this amazing new facility we have with Zoom and other uh, kind of broadcast from home, I guess, for lack of a better term, uh, the pace of development has just been stunning. So uh, congratulations on everybody who are making these tools to help us do our jobs better. Guy, you had another thought? Yeah, one more thing to add on Universe. One of the ways that we're using it here in this show is to be able to have people remotely from afar. So we we create the interface, but then people uh, at another IP address can go ahead and log in. And we we're using Cloudflare Tunnel to be able to allow access to that that interface. So once you set it up, I mean, basically it's drag and drop buttons. And so you have a series of devices, like I have my bird dog camera on there, I have vMix on there. And so I add those and then those create buttons. And then I can have those buttons do things and I could create sliders as well. But the important thing is that now I can create a simple interface for not only on site, which I've done with the big Wacom 23 inch tablet where people can just touch those buttons. So it's, it's basically like a big kiosk maker, if you think of it that way, but for our professional tools. So it's for lighting, DMX, OSC. There's a, there's a lot of power under the hood. I mean, there's a reason why it costs almost two grand for this, this app. They use it, you know, BMW uses it for their big kiosks and their big shows. So it's, it's not a toy. It's, it's a full featured, uh, it's like Crestron, but even it even interfaces with Crestron, but it's on steroids. So, and, and specifically for our end of the universe, not, that's a pun. Uh, for, for <laughs> Good one, too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Our yeah. end of the universe. Um, yeah, it just it, things are changing, you know, and I, I, one thing that it does for those of you who are young and starting out in the industry, you know, these new technologies that were not around five or 10 years ago, uh, where the people who were growing during that era uh, now have to change and learn some new technologies. That puts the young people kind of at an even playing field. And if you work really hard, you can really establish yourself in the business as somebody who knows these new technologies. And for all of us older guys who've been around for a long time, it always keeps pushing us to continue to do continuing education and learn the new stuff because it's not going to be the same and it's going to keep at this pace, I think, for a long time to come. Let's move on to the next question. Great discussion. From Douglas Carmichael, Douglas asks, the University of Illinois has um, codified remote meeting etiquette in their HR HR policies. Uh, That's human resources. Um, There's a link there. Is it a solid first step and should AV quality be in the HR's purview? Let's start with Tom Ferguson. Well, my first response was I'm, I'm a retired security manager and wrote many a guideline. And guidelines should be one page, not seven. I realize this is academia, but oh my, TLDR. <laughs> For the no, there's nobody out there who doesn't understand TLDR is too long, didn't read. Uh, David Brady. 
Well, I think uh, for HR to take that on might be a heavy lift um, financially. A company where, where I work at the onset of the pandemic, they kind of uh, provided headsets. They didn't provide cameras out of the gate. Um, I think just trying to shape people's behavior is what they're looking to do. Uh, but to to set a standard for AV might be a bit too much of a lift, I would think. Yeah. I, well, okay. John Preto. Oh, we do it to somebody else. Punch my, John? My, my sister works for Human Services San Diego and they did, they did remote work and they're still doing remote working. They didn't, they're not paying for their bandwidth. They gave them, um, they gave them an older computer. I think it's a Chromebook actually. And they gave them their phone with the VoIP system so that they could call into their network. And they gave them a cheap headset. That's all they gave them for remote work. It's really fascinating how different organizations took this on, whether they saw that this was going to be a major change in social interaction or whether they kind of just said, well, we'll be back in a few weeks, so let's do nothing. And everybody, all the, all the organizations that I was dealing with, they all took a little different tack to it. Nobody knew quite what to do. Um, but I think it should, I, I'm surprised it took them this long to do some sort of meeting etiquette standards. Uh, we've all seen from back in the early days all sorts of mistakes made by people that could have been avoided if they'd studied this a little bit more. And it is very important. I mean, as so many of us now, this is a, a core part of how we make our living that um, without some sort of discussion in the professional groups about you really shouldn't do a and B and C to succeed in telepresence and being able to participate in meetings, you should really do D, E, and F. Um, and so I just applaud them for taking a shot at it. Hopefully uh, I, I, that resonated. It shouldn't be seven pages, you know, as simple as you can make it, the better. David Brady, you had more thoughts? Yeah, I think to the, the point that I can see them trying to get at is that equity and inclusion aspect of things where everybody coming to that meeting has the same level set. Um, it's tough to to pull it off though especially like if you're getting a chromebook i mean uh i don't know if that has the horsepower to really pull it off as well as uh some of the other like the rigs you're gonna see in a, in the next hour yeah it, it it it's an interesting thing um and you know uh, here on the show uh, famously alex's thing is nobody left behind and uh, you know when you're seeing some of this the the circumstances that many of us here on the panel have invested to make this something that we do every day and to to be proud of the quality we can produce it, i think it's easy to say well i can never do that and so we've always tried since the beginning of the pandemic and particularly with the education hours and talking to teachers who notoriously don't usually have a lot of salary to support fancy equipment we've always tried to say there are there are less expensive ways to get decent results out of this and you shouldn't have to pay an arm and a leg to have it. Some of what you'll see later, I think you can see a lot of us have done that. But it's because it's it's part of our business. We've been around production a long time. In many cases, many of us have accumulated equipment over our entire careers that we were able to turn, say, I'm not doing production. So I'll take some grip gears, some stands and stuff like that and throw them into my on-air Zoom telepresence setting without having to spend a penny, but that's not typical. So anyway, it's just interesting. I mean, this is, I, I, again, I applaud the University of Illinois for at least trying to say, 
meeting etiquette, remote meeting etiquette particularly, is a subject that's worthy of discussion uh, as we do here every day. Let's move on. Next question. Question from Eric Billings in Washington, D.C. How important is side tone? Given the problems that even a slight delay causes me, I've decided not to use it. But I'm missing something. But am I missing something important? I'm a casual and work Zoom user. Mitch, you want to start us off here? Yeah, just a quick uh, uh, explanation of what side tone is. Generally, it's uh, a way through your headphones to monitor what's going on in your microphone. And uh, I find that it's significant in that if you use it just to monitor the microphone closest to the output of the microphone, then you've cut out all the uh, intervening special effects, uh, uh, compression, limiting, EQ, um, and in some cases, delay and latency. So uh, when you take that out of the equation, the closer you are to the microphone in your uh, in your setup, uh, the less likely any of those things are going to be uh, bouncing around your head because it's almost impossible to speak with a delay in your head all at the same time. I, I, I don't know how many people can do it. Maybe there's some people out there that can, but you, not, most cannot. So just being able to hear your voice back gives it the assurance that your mic is live and you sound okay and you can work the mic uh, so uh, to your satisfaction, knowing that what you hear is what's going out. Guy Cochran. Yeah, exactly what Bill said. Um, I find myself, uh, if I don't have it, um, I'll accidentally pummel the microphone. So um, with with uh, the way that you position your mic and if you, you, you're you watching your breath pops and things like that, especially with mics this close, uh, sometimes I, I feel like I need a pop shield, but I definitely become aware when I can hear it in my ears. And the thing that you're missing is uh, the delay, just uh, being able to tap into that microphone uh, before it hits into the computer. So if there's a way that you can, uh, like on a road, I'm using the Rodecaster Pro, which uh, since I have my behind the scenes camera, you can kind of see it right here. So this this device has the ability to give you um, uh, two USB out so you can assign them. So I can actually uh, put you guys in my ear or Mickey with on comms on a separate channel so I can season to taste, so to speak. And and then to listen to my headphones, I have another um, dial here. So it's it's nice to have this because there's zero latency. So uh, the Roadcaster Pro is one of the devices at 600 something bucks uh, that I'd recommend that works really well. And that way you won't be pummeling your microphone and you can season the taste. So good investment. There you go. Uh, David Brady. I actually don't use side tone myself. I've got a USB mic going into a Windows computer, so I don't know how I would even pull that off if I could. Um, might be handy to to dig into, but uh, I so far uh, been able to work the mic just by watching, keeping an eye on the meters. I hope. And uh, if there's any suggestions for how to get it in there, that'd be a good one to to have. All right, let's move on to Mitchell Hill for right now. Yeah, uh, it, the routing is not so important as the, just the fact that you have headsets. And you're listening to what you're saying. Um, and as uh, Guy was pointing out, um, I use this studio technology, and it's all Dante. So I'm able to, with these little volume controls in the front, this is my actual side tone volume. This is my Unity comms. And this is uh, what's coming back to me on Zoom. So just the fact that I'm listening to all of those things in my headset, uh, I guess you could call it side tone. But primarily, it's for the microphone. Uh, uh, John Prado. Uh, I just noticed the guy didn't get the memo. No white pants after Labor Day. 
Oh, so, so busted. These things are so comfy, though. I know. There you go. So is it, yeah. For, are, you, are you dressing for everybody else or for yourself? There's a question. Um, in my case, I, I, you know, I've just spent so much time in radio that the idea that I would be able, I would be in a situation where I was doing something that was being recorded and I couldn't hear the signal I was creating is uncomfortable for me. Now, sometimes you have to live with uncomfortable. I think I mentioned a few times that I once had a gig as a stadium announcer in a gigantic coliseum type building and uh, there was a significant delay between what i said into the microphone courtside and what came over the big speakers out there for the entire coliseum and it was hard the first gig uh to shut down the part of my brain that says this is really unnatural it's really freaky so uh eric i understand completely this idea if you have too much of a delay and it's feeding back into your head it can be extremely disorienting you know if you really work at it you can you have to kind of shut down everything except the performance of the words and try to tune out everything else around you and it's very difficult most of the time uh most of this the more modern circumstances and i'm using universal audio apollo so it's just one of the one of the connection things but it's using a thunderbolt interconnect and it can do real time that is actually real time so when i'm hearing myself as part of the mix in my headphones along with talk back and along with what everybody else is saying it seems incredibly natural so there are hardware solutions out there that eliminate the delay that you're work, uh, you're thinking about. For me also, as, uh, as somebody who does a lot of voiceover work, I need to be able to hear if I'm popping P's or if my S's are getting really splashy. And so not having something that is feeding me the signal, just trying to listen with my ears, a lot of those kind of things are veiled from me. And um, that's unacceptable because I need to be aware of those things. So everybody does it differently. Those are my thoughts as somebody who's done that kind of work for a long time. But um, if you if you don't like delay, just don't settle for having to deal with delay if you don't want to. There are systems that will get rid of it. Let's move to the next thing. All right. I have a question. Uh, looks like the new Indiana Jones 5 includes some de-aged shots of Harrison Ford. What do you think of this technology? And there's Michelle's going to go start there. us out. You're up, buddy. Yeah, um, this is a picture of uh, Indiana Jones from his latest movie. And as you can see, he looks quite young. Um, Harrison Ford is what? He's got to be in his 80s by now. So it's amazing that uh, that they can do this in a very convincing way. And it constantly seems to be moving forward. You've seen the deep fake videos of uh, uh, Luke Skywalker and other um, uh, people and actors. I think it's just a matter of time before they're able to bring back anybody, any star, any uh, personality from any time and uh, map their uh, likeness on it. So I think that uh, what's happening now, too, is that a lot of actors are, uh, are licensing uh, their image and their uh, likeness out there for various uh, uses beyond their ability to uh, present. But uh, this is just cool. It just helps tell a story. So, you know, I, I guess Indiana is allowed to be as uh, young as he wants to be as long as the technology helps. Yeah, and I think they see this coming, the, the uncanny valley, that area where things done virtually and reality still has a disconnect. Uh, it gets shorter and shorter. Whether it'll ever get down to zero, that's a whole other topic for people who are much smarter than I am about whether or not there will always be some way to discern 
real-time actual reality from created reality. But boy, uh, there's a ton of money going into this. And I know uh, we, we've heard about the licensing of James Earl Jones's voice in perpetuity so they can put him in an automated system and make essentially Darth Vader say whatever they want to for the future. I mean, that makes perfect sense to me, uh, particularly since they took the right process and they've licensed his vocal likeness and will use it after compensating him and having him agree to it. Uh, Mitch, you had another thought about this? Yeah, I was just going to say, I'm looking forward to watching, I guess, uh, Indiana Jones, uh, whatever the, it is, uh, version 5, will be out next June. And it's going to be interesting to watch to see exactly how much of him in, in his acting that he uh, DAs. Did they do the whole thing? Uh, did they just do a flashback segment? Uh, it's going to be hard to tell. But the interesting thing about the technology is that it's pretty wonderful that they can do it. And as up to a, as recent as just a couple of years ago, you could watch it and you'd say, yeah, that looks like a younger version of Jeff Bridges and Tron. Uh, but there was something about it that gave it away. And um, now with this technology, it's almost indistinguishable from uh, the real person. Yeah. And I also wonder, where's the difference between what they're doing now? I remember uh, being privy to a discussion among people who had worked with a very, very, very A-list Hollywood actress who is already gorgeous. But they were talking about the amount of effects work they did because she had a skin issue on the days that they were shooting. And they went in and literally, it was called rotoscoping back in the day, retouching frame by frame by frame. I think the algorithms make it easier now, but to improve her skin. I mean, so, you know, that's already been done. And I think that's a fair thing because if you have a blemish one day, that doesn't define who you are. And if that performance that day is being recorded for the ages, you certainly don't want that uh, anomaly and how you look to be part of that performance forever. So, you know, it, there's a big spectrum here of retouching and or replacing and or trying to fool the audience into thinking one person is another person. And that gets into the whole politics point of, you know, you can probably get a realistic simulation of somebody and make them say something they didn't actually say. And then you get into the point of, uh, you know, now all of a sudden you're manipulating and it's not just trying to improve an actual performance, but it's trying to make something that didn't exist before. And I think everybody has a different opinion of that. Mitch, you had a last thought before we move on. It's, it's also a, a concept and a product that's being moved into the hands of the average user. Like I can do exactly what you were saying uh, uh, with blemishes and things using a tracking program in After Effects called Mocha, Mocha Pro. Um, and that's the technically hard part of doing a, a realistic um, um, de-aging or something of that nature because you're dealing with people in different planes, um, you're dealing with a 3D image, um, and you need to be able to track it as it uh, moves through the scene. So um, there's all kinds of software out there that's uh, coming along that's allowing us to do it. Not, it's not a one-button AI decision, uh, uh, program just yet, but that's next. No, and the, the, the technology uh, Mitch is talking about is pretty much everywhere now. Mocha is licensed into all the NLEs. I don't know if all of them, but most of them. And that Mocha engine is is like in 30 things. So, you, you know, even little... Um, apps and things like that can license their technology and use it in there. So you never know whether what's on your phone might be using some of that technology to fix things. Uh, let's move on to the next question. Next one, a fun one from Tom Ferguson in Phoenix, Arizona. Tom says, this week we had the 50th anniversary of the video game Pong. Does this bring back memories? 
Uh, does it? We're going to start and go around. I actually should have put Tom first, but John Preto is going to weigh in before Tom does. I have to go and read the history again because I saw this as a little kid. It had to be in the early 70s. And and this uh, one of the kids in my neighborhood's father came home and he said he had this new thing that, that wasn't even out yet. <coughs> and you had to put the screen over the top of the TV and it stuck on the TV from static electricity. And then you could play the the couple different games they had. Um, and that, that had to be early 70s. But the most exciting thing was the chimp playing Neuralink on Pong with his brain. That, that <laughs> happened just week. Okay, there you go. Tom Ferguson, what were you thinking here in putting this in? Whoops, Tom, are you there? Whoops, did Tom drop off? I am oh. here. Uh, oh, there the we developer go. was Atari, oh, there and the designer was Alan A. Alcorn. Uh, it was out in the wild November 29th, 1972. And all I can say is if I had all those quarters and I had invested them in my 401, well, I would have retired much earlier. <laughs> I hear that. David Brady. Yeah, the quarters definitely uh, would have added up. Um, there was an exhibit at the Museum of Moving Image over in Astoria a couple of years back, and they brought out a lot of these original games that uh, you were able to play for that quarter. Um, and it was good memories uh, in the pool hall where I grew up. Mitch Hill. Uh, I got a, I got a comment on what John said um, about the, uh, the overlay. I used to play with a thing called Winky Dink and it was a, uh, a, a plastic cover on your TV that had blue at the top and green at the bottom. And you had to draw lines for uh, Winky Dink to uh, get from point A to point B. So I didn't see that particular version of the Pong version, but the first Pong I ever bought was in 1974 when I was in San Antonio, Texas, and it was a home version of it that you plug into your TV. And um, I had problems with it because I had just built this Heathkit TV that had a digital readout for the channel uh, and the time on it. And for some reason, the Pong would see that and it would bounce off the, the, the channel and the time, and I messed it all up. <laughs> my case i didn't have the the home system at all but uh in my college days we were all looking for night jobs and i landed a night job spinning records in a nightclub in a discotheque and uh, i remember the day that four guys brought in this huge tabletop monster and landed it over there and it was throwing a quarter and play pong and we immediately uh, lost uh, probably 20% of our take-home pay feeding quarters into that beast. Um, and I think Mitch mentioned it earlier in the pre-show. Yeah, I, I could convince myself. It probably wasn't coded into it, but I convinced myself if, that if you move the paddle at exactly the right moment, you could put English on a shot and bounce things off. And it, we just dove into it. So that's where the, the video game revolution started for me right there in my 20s. Uh, next question. Next one in from Todd Rains in Allen, Texas. Todd asks, in this DaVinci Resolve, how can you compare two audio tracks to highlight differences? I have two recordings, one local and one from a Zoom meeting that I want to highlight to see when Zoom participants speak so I can cut those in. Ooh, what you're trying to do is a little more complex than I had thought. Differences are, uh, there's a lot of software, particularly just graphic software. If you take voice prints of two things, and uh, Alex has talked about this too, uh, put them over top of each other and do a difference operation on the second one. It'll show you what is different about those two things. But using that to drive something that will switch Zoom participants is another level that I'm afraid I'm unaware of. Mitch, do you have more thoughts on this? Uh 
That is a legitimate uh, way to go about doing it. Sometimes you need to split tracks, and I'd use the same methodology where you might bring both tracks in to a timeline on a DAW, and uh, you just start to highlight the area that you want, and you can see where it, how it applies over the one below it, and then you can tra- you can do things to the uh, the other track. There's also a plug-in. I believe it's made by Waves. I think it's called Vocal Writer, where you can use the other track as a side tone to trigger the uh, the channel that you're you've got your zoom caller on, so it will automatically dip the uh, the other channel um, in the process of playing back. But uh, that may be a different application. Yeah, you might want to search under ducking because there are a lot of things that do that kind of ducking. It was designed so that when uh, one person speaks, it ducks the the audio level of another. I don't know whether you could turn it into this app uh, application, but that's another thought for it, Mitchell. You had another thought? Yeah, Mickey reminds me that's the side chain. You can you can make that. Oh happen. yeah, yeah yeah. Side uh, side chain in a in a traditional mixer circuit diagram is one circuit on the outside affecting another circuit in the main circuit path. So side chain is uh, yeah. Look, another thing to search for, and hopefully you'll find it. Uh, if you succeed, come back. Let us know how you did it. We'd be interested in hearing. Next question. From Josh Kaufman, Pittsburgh, PA. What is the panel's recommendation on a mobile headset and audio chain to route monitoring and comms. Do you prefer to pan audio or rely on switching channels? Uh, we don't have anybody who's clicked in on this. I will say personally, I have a little bit of diminished hearing in my right ear from a thing that I had a while, uh, some years back. So I do both main program feed and comms in one ear. And that's easier for me to do it as a mono thing. What I find is that it's important to EQ the two channels separately. So I have pretty full range sound for the show program monitor feed, which also has a a loop back of me speaking into my microphone so I can hear myself, monitor myself. But when somebody in the back end uh, needs to get a note to me, it will come in pretty bandwidth limited. It's pretty tinny sounding, but I like that. So I know instantly that that is a comms channel feed. Uh, So that's how I do it. Mitch, you had another thought here? Yeah, I think that's a great way to do it. I wish I could do that uh, with my Dante system, but uh, I keep holding this up. I'm not bragging about it. I just happen to have this. Um, I have the ability to adjust the volume level from each um, of the sources, side tone, unity, and uh, the zoom. And I usually turn the unity at a point where it's a little louder than everything else so that when somebody speaks on comms to me that I get the, uh, I get the call uh, very quickly. And in comms, I have it set so it beeps at me. So when everybody uh, keys me on a direct call, I get a, a beep and I, I know that something's coming through. Yeah, so there, there's some good suggestions on how this operates. Uh, we are about four questions left to go in the current sit- circumstance. So if you have additional uh, questions for us, that'd be great. If not, we'll start our ruthless reviews a little bit early, and we might have a shorter show. It's up to you as our producers. So for right now, next question. Douglas Carmichael asks, Bulletin Board Systems were the online communities of the 1980s and the 1990s. And many memories were probably made in and around them. Do any of the panelists have their own memories they can share? I'm sure we do. Guy Cochran's going to start us off here. Yeah, I worked at a little photo lab and um, I did color correction on these prints where uh, I'd have to look at these uh, test strips. And I remember hearing these ding, you know, all the modem sounds up above me. And it was because the owner of the company had a bunch of modems up top. And so that was my fond memories being in the darkroom and coming out all the time and hearing these things going off. Uh, Later on is um, 
uh, I got to work at another place called Argentum. We had a file transfer system that was like a 28-8 modem. And one of the students that we had as an intern um, actually uh, introduced us to internet relay chat on that 28 modem. This was 1995. So it was fascinating to talk to somebody in Russia. That was my first real experience with the internet. And uh, then, um, AOL with the discs. And I, I think my fondest memory of AOL in those communities was I gave one of those discs to a friend of mine at the university, university of Washington, and she wound up uh, finding somebody that she married. So that was, that was just bizarre to me that you can meet somebody on the internet and get married. And he was, yeah, it was, it was a wild uh, thing to realize that it was just from a disc. Wow. You know, yeah. It was a different era back then. Next question. Uh, no, John Preto. I'm sorry about that. We got people want to talk about this. Tons of tons of stories on it, on the old modems. And what's interesting is yesterday I was doing some installs in Python and using PIP or NPM for JavaScript and how easy you guys have it today. And I was a I was a Novell network engineer and keeping keeping file servers up to date. I had my own Wildcat BBS. I had two lines and I kept all the drivers on my own machine back at the office and out in the client field, I had a little laptop, the Toshiba with the built-in modem. And I could download the drivers off of that machine and then upload them into the client's office. Uh, but tons, tons of old times with the modems. My friend here in Las Vegas is the author of Bob's Term, which ran on the which ran on the Amiga, which was one of the biggest uh, communities back in the day in the late eighties, early nineties. Mitch Hill, uh, a couple of names from the past: CompuServe, um, Genie. I think uh, General Electric owned them, and I think Sears took them all together at some point. And of course, the original AOL. And AOL's big thing was they had all those modems. They had billions and billions of modems stuck somewhere. Uh, taking all the calls. So, yeah, it was fun. I had a radio show in the early 90s, and I used to have it on CompuServe all the time so that I'd get some feedback from people. And uh, you'd be surprised how quickly that kind of stuff caught on because I didn't really know what social media was then. Uh, Tom Ferguson. Oh, we started out at 300 baud, 30 characters per second. Can't believe that. And then we got up to 9,600 and even 19.2. You just don't forget that we were moving that slowly. Well, yeah, we went 300 to 1,200 to 2,400 to <laughs> 9,600. It took years. Uh, David Brady. Yeah, uh, I also remember in, in France, uh, I had a friend in France visited in the mid-80s, and they had a system over there called Minitel, which was like a whole separate beast of a console and everything brought into the house from the telephone company. So it was uh, those days were fun. Yeah, I I had my first modem was a 300 baud dial-up that I attached to my 1984 Mac. Uh, th that was the first. I had a computer before that, a little Timex Sinclair, but I didn't do much with it. The Mac really lit up my brain, and I spent a lot of time with that. But for me, the the dipping into it was a service called CB Simulator that was there around in the early days, and it literally ran like you were a bunch of truckers, and everybody had a handle, and everybody would chat about things. And, uh, I, you know, it really was transformational for me because I learned a lesson coming out of that. I remember seeing that people who were not being themselves, who were using handles, were much quicker to argue and fight about things than people who had the responsibility of being there under their own names. And so I remember there was a day I'm sitting at my little computer and I, you know, watched this argument go by and I went, 
that's really not a good thing. Maybe I should do things under my own name. And at, from that point on, I had this thought in my head that if I was going to say something on the internet or on the webs, I would do it as myself and take responsibility for what I was saying. I think that is the best advice I ever gave myself in that moment. And it was because of the a fight I watched happen on CB Simulator in those early days. Um, hiding behind a, a, an avatar or something else really does give you permission to be, in my case, it would have been be more a jerk than I would have otherwise been. And I didn't like it. So I stopped doing it. So that was really transformational for me. So thank you, CB Simulator. If nothing else, you taught me that lesson, which has stood me in good state, uh, particularly when I found out the Wayback Machine had been tracking and keeping everything that I had ever written on the internet <laughs> since I was very young. That was a frightening day. <laughs> I went back to look and go, oh, my God, some of those fights I was in before I learned that lesson are still up there. Ah, Mitch, you had a last thought? Um, yeah, other than the the your voice echoing in my head. Oh, sorry. Uh, it reminds it reminds me of the sound of my old Hayes 300 used to make that. There's a cute little animation on online somewhere that is uh, modem login. It has a little character and he's going down a, a, a graphic of the sound of the modem uh, handshake terms. I think it's, it's, it'll take you right back to those days. Remember she, AT, AT commands? Oh, God. Uh, Harshid? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I was thinking about what companies were around. I mean, Lycos, I think, was one company that floated around back then. And there's like the yeah. dog that uh, dug a hole in the ground or whatever. But AOL, if you really look at what AOL is, and even in the gaming uh, atmosphere, as we modern day people played Candy Crush and such on Facebook, AOL was Facebook. And if you look at the model, uh, they had the Plinko game and you had the chats. And, of course, you could meet people from diverse uh, populations. So the South Asian groups had groups and uh the MP3 listeners had their groups, and uh, so it's quite interesting. As just what we look at social media today, we are still functioning the same way. We haven't changed uh, the humanity of things. The way we want to communicate is: hey, we wrote an email, and hopefully someone will read that email, and we get excited by that communication. You know, establishing, and even if it's a bod modem, a 56k modem. I mean, I used to run a 56k modem out of a hotel because that's what our family owned at the point, but still trying to meet all these various people and writing pen pal letters and, you know, converting that into email, getting your first virus because you've got that email that said, I love you. And then there's a photo from somebody you knew, and then you got stuck with a virus, you know? So all of these things, as far as just ideas, we all function the same way, but, uh, it was fun days. IRC. I love it. Discord is the modern day IRC to me personally, because it's the same, uh, type of communication, but not overblown like some of these other social medias. So. It was just a different environment back there. My first search engine that I used consistently was Alta Vista. And I remember when I suddenly said to myself, hey, this Google thing is going to be something. <laughs> Do I need to change? Yeah, boy, if I'd only known. And if I'd only invested wisely. Uh, let's go to the next question. But that was a fun discussion. Coming from Robert Gramling in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Robert asked, in my house, all the clocks are set to Apple time, like the phone, the iPad, etc." How does office hours used to set, what does office hours use to set your clocks? Mitchell? There's a lot of servers out there that provide uh, access to uh, clock information. Uh, uh, one of them is the uh, uh, NTS. There might be an NTS server in your area. Um, Apple has an NTS server. Uh, the other is uh, you can use your uh, GPS uh, to connect up to the satellite. 
and uh, get the time from that. And then the the big daddy around here uh, probably is the Naval Observatory uh, in Washington, D.C., which is the uh, U.S. atomic clock. That I believe that's what we're connected to. Yeah, someplace. There, uh, Tom Ferguson? Yeah, network time protocol. That's what we're all on, even this clock here. Yeah, that's a nice-looking clock. Uh, so, yeah, there are standards, and, um, you know, time is supposed to be a measurement thing, right? And everybody's supposed to be on the same time, although the world, with all the time zones and spring forward and fall back, sometimes I wonder whether we consider it a measurement device or just something that's convenient. Mitch, you had a last thought? Yeah, it, uh, to correct to what I said, it's not NTS. It's NTP server. Ah, okay. Uh, let's move to the next question. Douglas Carmichael with Universe connected to Zoom. Does Zoom, uh, a, a, does Isadora still have a role to play in the Office Hours 2.0 architecture? I'm not aware of how that all plays out. I know uh, uh, R. Wilson Sparrow is still here doing Isadora instruction. In fact, was that yesterday? I, I remember reading the note about it. So I would assume that it's still embedded in what we do here at Office Hours, although I am not that aware of the back end to know more than just I've read the announcement. Um, so maybe somebody will pump in, but it looks like this might not be, you know, maybe when Alex comes back and I'm assuming it might be tomorrow, it might be Monday. I don't, I just don't have any data on that. Um, he knows uh, everything there is to know about how the back end is set up to function. So maybe that, that would be a better source of an answer. Let's just move on to the next question. Keenan Campbell from Nevada, USA has got a question. For panelists, can we discuss how you route back channel Unity into your ear and also how you key up comms only and not going out to program? Uh, yeah, I'll take a Oh, well, Harshid's going to talk to us a little bit before I... Sure thing. Uh, the way I go about it is I have a, a few Android devices laying around, so I Wi-Fi that up to Unity and go Pixel Buds. Uh, something that's in here so I could walk away or I could walk with my phone if I need to check the time. I could uh, get any messages on Discord if I need to write off that one device. Uh, what that does for me is it separates the uh, have it in one place situation. So if I had to step away, I could still get uh, comms to say uh, five minutes or you're live on YouTube. That means five minute warning. And then two minute warning comes in. So if I'm eating breakfast or something, I could uh, hurry up and get to my seat. And uh, the way of doing it through Windows, you could possibly do the same thing as have one connection set, sought out as Bluetooth uh, just for Unity itself, and then make sure to track that in the settings to send the audio there, and then just ensure that you're muted on um, Zoom, because that's the only fear is if you're unmuted on Zoom and if you go mic with the same mic, you might be uh, bleeding both uh, to the program or to backstage or what have you. Uh, Mitchell. Um, I'm sort of experimenting with Dante and Dante allows me to put everything pretty much where it wants to go. I know this is the third time I've held it up, but this is a Dante uh, device <laughs> that allows me to, uh, I can talk to Mickey right here on unity. Uh, I can talk to JJ or Chad over here on unity. And then of course I have all the separate volume controls for it. It's all Dante, uh, uh, routed and distributed. So that gives me a lot of flexibility in terms of uh, the sound goes. John Preto. So so Fenwick has his, his uh, stream deck all programmed when we do his all of his uh, party lines programmed in. And then he uses sound source to do the pan for the zooms. But I walk around too much, just like Hershey said. So 
I run Unity on my phone, and then I have this that goes underneath my cans. But when I get up, I can walk around. I'm still on comms, and that works out well for me. That's a nice little little setup there. In my case, because I'm using the University uh, Universal Audio Apollo Solo, it is essentially a little mixer, but it also has ratting things, and it also has EQ in it. So, um, Mickey, thank you, Mickey, wherever you are, uh, help me set up a uh, a loopback channel through the loopback device that takes the comms feed uh, and then loops it through. And because it's running through the Apollo Solo. I have all sorts of EQ available as plugins, so I just slap the plugin on it, and we made an EQ profile that does that function of keeping the comms sound for a mono earpiece substantially different than the program sound, so that I always know I can hear the difference when somebody's talking to me on comms versus uh, a panelist talking on the show. So there's a lot of ways to get there. Tom Ferguson, you had thoughts, and you do a lot of this kind of uh, intercom stuff, right? Tom, are you? Oh, Tom, sir. I'm sorry. I was thinking, I don't know why I got Doug Ferguson and Tom Ferguson. Oh, uh, no, no. I'm, yeah, I'm Tom here. Ferguson. Uh, I use the shocks and the evil Bluetooth, according to Mickey. So uh, works fine for me. Okay. So everybody's a little bit different. You can see there's a lot of ways to get there. The idea, though, of an IFB type device which is that, that stands for interruptible foldback, and it's the thing that you see on TV when the uh, the person on the air doing some sort of commentary gets a note from the back control room. That's the IFB circuit. And uh, that's known for a long time. And and so there are a lot of ways to accomplish it, but it really is useful if you have to talk to on-air talent while they're in the process with open mics doing their job. Mitch, you had another thought? Yeah. And also, if you're watching a newscaster and they're starting to talk and they go, uh, and, they go and they, with great... Uh, prejudice pop that earpiece out because what they're probably getting is either a delayed uh, feedback or something loud or uh, something they don't, don't want to hear. But uh, it's always funny to see that going on. Yeah. If you want a, a fun little thing, go back and find the old movie broadcast news. And there's a great scene uh, of the producer and the on-air talent. And she's feeding him all sorts of technical detail about some military operation thing that's going on. And he's able, because he's a high quality talent to process the information, turn it into something to say on the air, even while he's listening to her in the background. It's a, it's a interesting scene because it shows you that interplay. Let's go on to the next thing. Albert Brooks, by the way, uh, uh, Chris Widener right. is here with a question from Lafayette, Indiana. Tesla delivered its first official production vehicle to Pepsi on Thursday at the Nevada factory. How would you love to see these as satellite trucks next? That's going to be interesting. I, you know, we had heard that Tesla was working on trucks along there. Um, and there's been a lot of discussion about some of the first driverless vehicles on the road may not be passenger cars at all, but maybe freight hauling kind of uh, semis or things like that, because that's the, the easiest business case to make. Uh, but I don't know anything about that. So it, it, I do think that... Uh, this is some place that that we kind of feel like the world is going. That that the networks are fast enough. The Internet of Things is interconnected fast enough. Uh, as we keep getting more and more throughput on these networks, it may be possible to do real time uh, collision avoidance and things like that. At the point where it becomes safe and and boy, it'll free up a lot of time for human beings and and maybe make a lot of difference in terms of uh, the economics of the world. We'll see. Next question. From John Clark in London, England. Anyone used V-band talkie? What are your thoughts? 
I've never heard of it, so I don't have any thoughts, but I imagine, is that some sort of walkie-talkie thing? Does anybody have any idea on the panel about what that might be? Uh, I know there have been a lot of uh, change. You know, we used to have to buy walkie-talkies for now. There's all sorts of little apps on the phones to do that, but I might be talking entirely out of, that might not be what V-band talkie is. And um, unfortunately, um, there's a link there, but I don't know if anybody had, it just says intercom on your mobile device. And uh, to a certain degree, uh, that's what John Preto was just showing us when he held up his uh, Unity software running on his mobile phone. He has essentially intercom access into the Office Hours Unity system through an app on his phone. Let's move on to the next question. Chris Widener, Lafayette, Indiana asked, XROS is the new rumor is the new rumor about Apple's mixed reality headset. Do we feel like this naming scheme is going too far? <laughs> I, you know, I I don't know. Uh, John Preto, what are your thoughts? You know, we thought it was going to be reality OS, but that that's, uh, I think that's too myopic. XR leaves the door open for both AR and VR. And so, and it's short, it matches all the other ones. So. We'll so see. is that extended reality or extra real no, X, or X, X is the variable. So it's oh, a variable real. Oh, there yeah, you yeah. go. There you go. That's kind of interesting. I hadn't thought about it in those, in those terms. Uh, so nobody knows. We'll keep our fingers crossed. Um, let's, let's hope it's useful for people. Next question. John Clark in London, UK, a live event streaming using two black magic 4Ks. Distance from cameras to stages 60 feet. What would be your lens recommendation? Something very long, I would guess. Uh, we always try, you know, I think the minimum shot, no matter how far back your camera is placed, is a waist up shot. If you can't at least get that, I think you have too short a lens. Uh, some people like to be able to get um, a, an upper body kind of headshot out of that. Sometimes that can be really difficult on a super long lens from a long distance because literally any camera movement is going to get really uh, exacerbated. If anything shakes even the littlest bit and you're out at the at the tight end of a long lens shot, that shakiness is going to get magnified by tremendous amounts. So if you're going to be working with long lenses, you want the most stable camera support and fluid head you can possibly get. Um, you know, there's no reason you can't do this. There's plenty of lenses uh, to do this kind of thing. Uh, image stabilization or not is going to be a, a decision you're going to have to make. Uh, Canon, as somebody said, Canon 50 to 1,000 millimeter. You also get into the circumstances where you can get a lens that's a little more modest than that and get a 2X extender on it. Sometimes those um, affect the image quality a little bit unless you spend a lot of money for a 2X extender. So you're you're in the world of optics uh, it can get very expensive to play the big game in optics, but there are things available to solve this problem for you. Mitchell, what do you think? 60 feet and more, I'd get an ingenue, but the cost of those <laughs> lenses is fantastic. <laughs> well, yeah, up at the top end of the Canon glass and ingenue and, and their other uh, Zeiss, you can get lenses that are fabulous for long throws, but they, you know, the prices, you got to be able to handle that sticker shock when you see what they cost. Uh, that is precision optics for doing a very special kind of a thing. Uh, next question. Hopefully that helped you. Next question. Next question in from Paul Terry Wallace in Austin, Texas. What time is Accidental Theater today? Central time and UTC. 
I have no idea. And I, in fact, I've been reading the billboard the last three days and I haven't seen anything about accidental theater. So I didn't know that they were having something going uh, later today. If somebody can put that in there, though, I will make it as part of the end of show announcement. So if somebody in the back end sends me a, a, a thing and if anybody can hang around to the end of the show today, I will try to make sure that we get that information out to you. Let's go to the next question. Uh, 8 p.m. UTC, according to JJ. So 8 p.m. U- Universal on. Time. So what? who knows what that is on the East Coast or West Coast? I, East Coast gonna, minus four. Minus four. Okay. Plus four. Excuse me. So midnight West Coast, uh, midnight back East. All right. Chris Widener in Lafayette, Indiana. The next question. Several different product teams at Google are having software stability issues, coincidence, or bad fork somewhere. That's boy. That's tough to figure out what's happening somewhere else. Um, you know, it, it, the world is complicated and interconnected, and something can go bad regionally, locally, on a key computer. Mitch, do you have any insight into what's going on there? Yeah, I'd like to keep my silverware out of this, please. Oh, okay, there you go. It's a bad fork. Uh, Maybe it's a bad salad fork and you can still use your dinner fork. Who knows? Uh, Let's move on to the next one. Sorry, Chris, we're probably not going to get you any more information than that this time. Paul Terry Wallace is back from Austin, Texas. Whatever happened to the 78 RPM record? (laughs) It went the way of a lot of historical media. Um, It was, let's, how do I put this? It was fragile. The fact that it was spinning that fast and trying to move a little mechanical needle, uh, those old 78 record needles looked like a railroad spike compared to the uh, the cartridges and um, needle systems that became popular when stereo records were a big deal. So um, I, I was always told, yeah, don't try to use a regular stereo needle to to reproduce a 78 RPM record, your your likelihood was that you destroy the needle in trying to do that. Uh, but we got a lot of people who want to weigh in on this. So let's start with Mitchell, go to Tom, and then David. Mitch, Mitchell. Uh, I'm, so, I'm so glad you said that. But, Bill, you need to get in a Wayback Machine to remind me that uh, running a Sure V15 Type 2 Sapphire Diamond uh, <laughs> needle on a 78 was instant disaster. Uh, you yeah. need a steel needle for it. But 78s were a thing of the, of the time. And I can honestly say that even though there was a 78 position on my old Gates turntable with the big uh, Hearst shifter on it for radio, I never had to play a 78, so I don't even know why it was there. Yeah, Tom Ferguson. Well, when my mom passed away, I got a number of 78 records, and one of them was Heartbreak Hotel by Elvis. It was one of his original releases in the 50s. So I have taken that and actually framed four of them and put them in my living room. Wow. I didn't realize that the Elvis was there early enough to be in the, there were still a lot of media consumption devices for, that's, yeah, that's 78 of his are rare. Yeah. I keep, I think of like Mario Lanza and some of the old opera people and things like that being those early 78 records that, that Presley was involved it was interesting. Uh, David Brady. Yep, I have a friend who used to have a radio show at WFMU across the river in New Jersey. Uh, he goes by the name of Phonograph DJ Mac, Michael Camilla. Um, he plays jazz-aged music on period-accurate uh, devices, wax cylinders wow. as well. And he, it, with the steel needles, they have to get changed after, I think it's two or three spins. Uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so 
it can get expensive, but uh, check them out. I'm actually, I found some records at uh, my Sunday place uh, from the early 30s, and I'm going to contract Mac to come in and do a play party uh, into the hall and digitize these things. You can't refre- refresh your uh, your 78 RPM needle with just uh, a lathe or a sand- <laughs> melt sander or a grinder or something. That's old old technology, but pretty cool anyway. Yeah, I'll well, throw anyway. a link to his stuff in the chat. Yeah. Time marches on and technology marches on as I, as I wave at my uh, wire recorder, which is up there behind me, what, whichever direction it is. I think it's right there. Actually used to record voices and play them back. Still does on on magnetic wire. Uh, Mitchell, you had a thought before we finish? Uh, just a quick one. David brought the, a very vivid memory of watching a 78 play with a steel needle and the spiral of vinyl uh, coming out behind it was cutting a new groove into the uh, the, the playback. Yeah, they, they did a lot of refinement on that technology over the course of the years. Let's move on to the next question. Looks like we have a few more that have come in. It's from Josh Kaufman in Pittsburgh, PA. What are the panel's preferred methods of payment collection from clients? And nobody say baseball bat, please. We're going to start with Mitchell Hill. Darn it. Um, QuickBooks, uh, direct deposit. Uh, very convenient, cl- convenient for the client, convenient for me. Works a charm. Uh, Doug Ferguson. Yeah, I don't know if I have a preferred method, but you just got to make it easy to get paid. So we accept all kinds of of ways of payment, you know, Zelle, PayPal, you know, QuickBooks, any way to get paid is a good day. There you go. Uh, John Preto. There's no easier way to get paid than Bitcoin. Just if you're worried about volatility, you sell it immediately. <laughs> but there's, you know, the percentage... Uh, take on Bitcoin is minuscule compared to any other methodology. Harshid? For accessibility purposes, I find PayPal to be quite simple. Zelle is usually built in with banks, so that's my secondary. Cash App used to be a go-to, but after some switching and uh, policy changes, I have used it less and less, so those are kind of my go-tos. I changed over the course of years, too. I used various things. When you were small and things were small, most of the time it was somebody would send you a check in the mail and that kind of thing. Over the course of time, though, I found two strategies were really useless as we are useful. As we got bigger and bigger, there was one point where I was working for a major corporation and we were doing so much work that um, we negotiated a direct deposit directly from their computers into my bank. And boy, was that better. I mean, at that point, right before that, I had been getting increasingly large checks in the mail. And I think I got a $35,000 check once in the mail. I thought, this is just stupid. I don't want the risk of that thing getting lost or damaged somehow. So um, the direct deposit plumbing, ACH deposit right into the account, once we set that up, Oh, that was nice. It sped things up at 30 days. It would just land in the account. I could depend on it. And that was great. The other thing I did is eventually, here's a little, I don't know if you want to do this, but it depends on the kind of things for small things. And I did this for voiceover jobs for a while. If I had an iffy client and I wasn't sure they were going to pay me, you can do something like put their work right? The finished version, everything else goes out watermarked so they can't use it. But when you get to the final one, you just tell them, um, I've, sent you an invoice. As soon as you pay the invoice, there will be a code and that will unlock the file on the on the server and you can download it. And so you put a little paywall in front of them getting the final work 
And um, everything there before that was Greek so that they couldn't use the file. And for an iffy client that I'm not sure is going to pay, particularly something as small as a couple hundred bucks on a voiceover or, you know, who knows what the what the final was, that 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 worked for me. But you got to have the right kind of clients who won't push back and go, no, you're crazy. I won't do that. Uh, Mitchell, your thoughts. Yeah, to your point, uh, we used to just send a time code burned uh, master out to them so they could use as a reference, but not likely to uh, get away with using that uh, until they've paid their bill. Yeah. Uh, next. Oh, we're done. We're, that's that's the top of the hour, is it? Yes, we're at seven fifty nine. Great. Well, we're going to have fun uh, in this second hour. Everybody has been asking for this. I thought Alex was going to be here to host this, but I'm actually looking forward to being able to do it myself. This is Ruthless Reviews taken to the next level. So we are going to expose our systems to those of you who are our faithful, uh, regular watchers and listeners here. So each person, I'm hoping I've got everything set up for me to do it. Um, this is, I guess we're kind of doing ruthless reviews of ourselves, and we're going to open up this fourth wall here and show you how we make the pictures that you get to see for panelists every day. So if I can successfully start off reaching over here to grab my phone because I've set it up, uh, first and foremost, my normal overhead camera. Uh, oops, that's the wrong one. There we go. Whoops, I had it there. Uh, this is a, a wider shot of my lighting rig at my desk here. So you're going to see uh, a big strip box overhead. That's my key light. There are two smaller lights left and right of me on my desk. And actually, the one that's over here that I'm reaching and, and manipulating right now actually is really just adding a little fill. So I've got uh, a secondary key. The key light is the big one overhead. There's the fill uh, that's the the secondary key light, and that's just a fill light to add a little bit of something. You'll see I have a large monitor directly in front of me that I don't use most of the time because right now my hand is on top of my teleprompter, which I use to make sure I can see and have eye contact with everybody. Uh, my main laptop sits down below that, and I'm going to take something down here to the bottom because I'm going to try to launch my other camera. And I'll show you what I see as I sit here every day. And it is this shot. So um, that is my kind of control center here for doing this show every day. And I'll kind of talk you through what I'm seeing. The big monitor shot is overhead. But again, the only reason I have that uh, turned on today and why I turn it on normally is because if somebody is doing something with small text, I find it very easy to look up there and read text. And, and we see that a lot. That's what I typically look at to get eye contact. To the left, I have uh, Mukana running and the talkback for comms. Uh, over on the right, I have the panel view. Whoops, we're stuck behind there. I'm not looking at my shot. Uh, a panel view monitor. My laptop traditionally has the stuff I can't show you on it. So there's a whole array of the Mukana interface there. Uh, Atom software over to the right. I have a uh, iPad sitting over on this side, and the iPad's purpose generally for me is to bring contact in if I want or content in if I want to show somebody uh, discuss a website or something like that. I pull it up on that, and that's normally this feed that I'm using right now. So let's see what else I can do. Overhead, and I don't have too many lights on, so hopefully you'll see it. I have all the auto poles that I talk about in terms of being able to do light stuff. And as I turn around here, you'll see that the light grid above me has a variety of lights. That's my backlight and uh, some of the lights that are lighting up the set. Um, this is the back area. I have a large whiteboard there that I had to erase for today because that's usually when clients come in and sit there, 
um, they are able to work in here in those long tables I pull out so that the clients have a place to sit normally. So that is the studio set circumstance that I'm sitting in every day. There's a lot of little pieces of data and information. Uh, I find it's very convenient. Uh, I mentioned at first, you don't have to go to this extreme to do something nice on office hours, but that's the system that I've been using for at least the last hmm, seven, eight months. So if anybody has any questions about why any of that happens, um, you can pop them in. But if not, I think we're about ready to go to the next Ruthless Review, people. Uh, so it looks to me like Chris Fenwick's up next. Chris, what do you got to show us? Uh, yeah, thanks for uh, letting me let me join in here. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to use this new feature in uh, uh, the thing. It's called, uh, I'm going to use my, my cell phone camera. See if this works. Yeah, so this is my computer. It's a little laptop. I use the I use the camera on the laptop, and I use the speakers on the laptop. And over here, there's a microphone for the laptop. And no, that's not what I use. So um, here's my desk, uh, and my desk is set up mostly for editing. Uh, so I edit on the main screen. That's Discord right now. There's the panel view. And then that's my Unity stuff over there. And then the vertical screen I use, it's basically switching stuff. So I use the OBS and the, um, the Blackmagic. And I basically use the Blackmagic as almost a, um, an ME that feeds into OBS. And the audio is all here. It's the, uh, the MixPre-6 and the Korg thing. Those are receipts. That's not really necessary in order to make the show happen, but I just was sorting through some receipts. The IRS finds them necessary. Uh, I have one of the, I use one of these things all the time. It's a little USB drive sled for archiving stuff. Uh, there's the, uh, the switcher deal and then a pile of stream decks over here. Oh, I also have this stream deck, which I haven't figured out how to really use yet. That's sitting back behind me. It, the, the knobs proved to be uh, complicated. Uh, the camera, the real camera, is mounted here. So here's the cluster of monitors. And if you zoom in and you go, oh, oh hey, 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 there's a camera. And it's a Blackmagic 6K Ultra, whatever it's called. Um, and then the upper two monitors. Hey, that's me. Oh, so th this, this is uh, my M1, which I use for ISO recordings. And then if you look at the four, the first four inputs on my, uh, on my extreme, those are my ISOs for, for recording, but, but stuck in the middle there is that. And then the upper monitors and the camera are mounted on this, uh, pole, which is, uh, I drilled a hole through the desk to mount that. And, uh, but that's, that's basically it. Uh, cool. and, and yeah, I mean the, I, I'll agree. Look at that. It's me with my camera in my hand. Uh, this is insanity extreme. Uh, but the ability to play something back easily, um, hear everything. I, I, I just missed a question about, I think it was Keenan, about piping Unity in and how we do that. Like all of that kind of functionality just makes work uh 
smoother. And so anything that you can do to, um, quite often you have to put a whole bunch of work into making something easy. And a lot of times people shy away from the work and say, oh, that's too complicated. But it's, it's, a, it's, the, it's the learning curve, so to speak. You, you have to get past it to actually make it be easy. And that, I think that's a, a good lesson to, uh, uh, to remember and use all through life. Not just here. Amen to that. Uh, next up on the Ruthless Reviews Roundtable, say that 10 times fast, is uh, David Brady. Hey, all righty. Um, I'm going to step out of the fold. I predominantly run on a Windows machine here, so don't hate me for that. Uh, <laughs> but this is kind of, let's see if we can get this going. No, wait, that's you. That's not what I want. I want this. That's the the, the big view of the room. So it's kind of, Caddy corner into the room. It's a three screen rig. Computers are under there. And let's go to this other camera we have. It's uh, this one. So here's the, the the nickel tour. Got three 27 inch displays. This one, however, is a touch display. And I can kind of mute, my, mute myself at the touch of a button right there on the, which is kind of handy. Um, the 27 inch LGs have some software which zones them out so I can split them in software, kind of like the big. 43-inch LG. Uh, Zcam E1 behind my little 5-inch teleprompter, so I don't use it for reading. It's more for just eye contact. Lots of blinky buttons here. Uh, more blinky buttons there. More, more blinky buttons is more better. Yeah, and I have the second ATEM under the desk, and I control it from the, the mini Stream Deck button, so that's kind of handy. And then the ice, the ice cavern is all back here. Uh, another computer over there for other stuff. The original um, ice house. Yeah, it's the ice house. And uh, the one thing I picked up from work recently, uh, found it in a dead closet, was uh, the softbox. So added that into the mix. And uh, my phone's ringing now, so I'm not going to answer that. <laughs> no. And that's about it for Nickel Tour. Um, you can kind of officially say I can't answer. I'm on the air, although this yeah, is, I, I guess I'm on the web. I know it doesn't have the same ring to okay. it. Anyway, thank you, David. Yeah. Well done. Sure. Uh, we are moving along. Next, we go up to Doug Ferguson. Doug. Hello, everybody. And sorry, it's been a second since I have been on the panel, which, wow, that's a process <laughs> from the back end. Well done, boys. Well done. Uh, but this is not my normal setup, being on a panel. But there was a request since it was a behind the scenes kind of day, um, I'm actually in at my production truck, which is actually a 20 foot uh, mobile trailer, a Hallmark trailer. Um, so I am going to switch to cameras in the truck. So this is behind the scenes in my truck. So, um, and this truck, uh, you will know the guy that built it um, was Jeff Keithley. So um, I cold called him one day and asked him a bunch of tech questions. And the next thing you know, he's building me a truck. Um, and then I also had to throw out um, big, big thanks to Greg Balat. This truck has done um, a major rehaul. This summer, um, we went from a TriCaster switcher to now a Ross switcher and Greg actually came to Indianapolis, spent many weeks with me. We totally gutted this thing. 
um, and then we put it all back together. So if you see another view, um, this is a different view. So this is a rack, the rack system. Um, imagine that empty. And that's exactly what we did. We took it all out, reran re -ran all the cables, including upgrading even power, um, and then put everything back in and cleaned it up really, really nice. Um, and I can take you on a little tour. It's going to be hard because I'm on a headset, but I did set up a camera. Let's see. Okay, five. So I did set this camera up here to give you a better sense of things. So this is the front of the truck. Everybody mm. needs gaff tape. So um, most important part of the whole truck. Yes, that's what holds it all together. That and Velcro. Um, that's what this all runs on. This is an interesting little. I just finished that uh, yesterday. Um, I needed some space up front to where I can take cameras in, send feeds out. Um, there's a comm panel there and then any network and then power. Uh, that's kind of the big program monitor um, along with the, the other monitor walls. Um, so graphics person sits here. Uh, we have an expression uh, graphics that we're running now. Uh, a new upgrade to the system is this Ross or uh, Everts uh, Dreamcatcher. It's a replay system. So there's the controller for that. And the actual frame for that is under there. So that has been a new addition to it. And then, of course, the switcher panel. Um, and then kind of my utility um, computers back there. There's a better view of the rack. You can see I have some monitors up top and on the left, the patch panel. Um, Greg built me, those three guys there um, are fiber uh, converters. So um, that takes SDI video and convert. Well, it's a fiber transmission. So I can do four video signals over one fiber with those boxes. And then I have a Blackmagic backup switcher a 2ME switcher in case the carbonite were to go down. I do have a 20 input black, black magic switcher. There's the 72 by 144 router, um, some storage, there's some PCs. And then on this side, we have um, some more monitors. Um, I record um, things on hyperdecks. So I have four hyperdecks that I can route anything I want to it. Um, and then there's a speaker system and then inputs from the fiber, more inputs on SDI and HDMI. And then we have the network. And then down below, we have the encoder, the Wowza encoder, which we use to stream. I have four Mac minis down there that I can use to uh, pin things when I'm doing virtual shows. Um, we have a radius. So that little guy is like the the brains of all the audio and comms. So we have a combination of um, key panel, uh, a Zeus um, system, 
an Adam Zeus, which is in the big boy trucks, uh, but that's a smaller version of it. But the Zeus ties in with the radius, and the radius also has unity intercom. So we can have on-site people as well as off-site people using the same thing. And then the red device there converts audio to digital. And then I could... I don't know if I could. T I can't take you all the way back, but audio is behind there. Um, behind that rack is where audio lives. So there's a Yamaha 40 input uh, TF3 back there. Um, that's kind of where audio lives. And then some whiteboards. That's new. A bunch of storage. the The thing is, is I would have had I do it wanted to do it again which I am probably going to do it again, um, I would get a much bigger bigger vehicle or trailer because nobody told me how much stuff needs to run this because I have cables and cables and bins and bins and cables, oh my, that uh, make this all work. But when we're actually moving down the road, this is all full. It's like a Tetris puzzle and at the end of shows when the crew is striking i'm the only one that kind of knows where stuff goes so i had to sit at the door and like point to things from the crew like all right i need those red bins next all right that big rack of things right in it all fits in i strap her all down and go on my way so great appreciate tour <laughs> yeah, appreciate you uh, giving me the time and the, the this is behind the scenes and i'm and boys and girls, board. you probably thought me, you saw me laughing and it was just because we talk about gear acquisition syndrome and how you start down the path of, I need another device for this and another device to this. Well, when you grow up all the way, you're where Doug is, uh, he's got all this stuff and he's thinking about the next bigger thing so we can get even more stuff. But it's oh, I, I already have it like, laid out in my head. Yeah. Yeah. My wife says I have a screen problem, which I don't think I do, but. I've gone to counseling for it, but it's, it's know, a job, but it is also a passion. <laughs> hey, Doug, is the back door of the trailer, does that fold down and become like a ramp? Yes, that door there right. does okay. go all the way down. And then, yes, it is a ramp. Um, I could, you know, maybe on a different day. No, it's uh, fine. I get, I get ramp. Imagine how much harder this was when the, all your monitor screens had to be CRTs and they had to be like 35 inches deep. And yeah, generated a lot of heat and took yeah. up a lot of space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, boy, that's beautiful. It really, you've done a beautiful, all, everybody who worked on that. Has it really is amazing though. When I just sit back and like take, try to take two steps back from where I started to where I am now. And then looking at all this stuff and like, oh my gosh, like, I actually know how this works and it's like blows my mind even like, like all these little blinky lights and all these things, like I kind of know what they do. And like, <laughs> look at it, like <laughs> but we all just, it feels so it, it is, attuned it is, to that. <laughs> it, it, it is amazing, but I, I will, I, I could not have done this without the, some of those people behind the scenes. I mean, you know, Mickey has spent hours with me. Tucker spent hours with me, you know, Greg and, and Jeff. I mean, and, and I tell you, I hang out with a bunch of guys on the panel um, on a daily basis. And it, it, it is, it's, this community is great. And, you know, I'm, I, I'm sad that I can't be part of this more often, 
um, that thing called work because I got to pay for this somehow. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say you got to pay for all that stuff. <laughs> and my wife says I'm on a, a spending freeze right now, but but no, we're in a good spot. Like I'm really happy where where we're at, and I do appreciate the everybody that has helped make this succeed because I could not have done it. There's way smarter people than me that that know how to program this stuff, and like I know what I want to do, but. But I, I appreciate you guys, and, and thanks for giving me the time. Well, we appreciate you. And there is that rush of success. I think everybody who's been in production knows. You know, you do a successful show because you had all the right tools planned and wired to do the right jobs at the right time when you needed them done. And it ends up being an excellent production because of that. It is a feeling like all that work, all that time, all that study, all that wiring, all that time on my knees under the desk trying to figure out how to connect that goes away. And you're able to serve your client properly and give them a show that's outstanding and they really appreciate. Um, it's a it's a it's a feeling and it's a big feeling. And it's an important one. John, you had a note on for him. Uh, hey, Bill. Doug wins. I'm just turning my computer off now. <laughs> <laughs> and it's on wheels and can go anywhere he wants to. No, but you know, Doug's been a part of this group from the very early days, and we watched him talking about doing this stuff and and then exploring. And I don't think you can overemphasize. This human connection we've made through office hours where we meet each other and then you have somebody that you can go to who knows that much more than you do about this one slice of the thing and can help you solve the problems, the Mickeys, the Tuckers, the everybody else. Even if you're not the most solid internet audio guy, there's somebody you can call that you know now enough to say, I need help with this. And then they'll reach out and they'll help you. And then the next thing you know, You've got a lockdown system that can make you money and works. It's amazing. Um, so great tour. Thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, let's move to the next review. And I believe this is Greg Swank. Greg. Hey, well, I'll follow that. <laughs> and with the help of my elves, you know, we do some pretty magical things up here too. But no, the elves are basically the office hours group. And I just have a, I'm a Santa performer and I uh, just basically take care of uh, visits for the children. And what I set up with the help of the office hours is I have uh, a chroma key background. You're looking at the office here. I can bring up a scene and have somebody light the, the fire and do a little magic for the children. But behind the scenes of this, I'll pop over to uh, my camera seven here and, and turn off my other camera. And then this is behind the scenes. So it's pretty simple system. I basically got two monitors. My camera's right here through the teleprompter. And then down here is my uh, Apollo, I just added that. Um, I work with Mickey a lot. Mickey gives me a lot of great ideas. Uh, my audio uh, is basically Sony's. I use a uh, Sony um, a, a Seiken Cos 11D for my mic, and it's a lavalier mic. And then I also use the Bumblebee for my ears. Uh, I have the uh, ATEM Extreme ISO. Over here, I run about four cameras maybe uh, and a couple other items through that. And I do all my keying for the chroma key in that environment. I have a Mac Studio uh, as my main workhorse. On top of that is a Mac Mini, which was what I used last year. Now it became, it took a role of a backup. And it's a, a backup. I have a Keldigi uh, hub to uh, because you run out of ports. And I'm also using a, a Keldigi uh, smaller hub up here. Uh, over here, I have a dyno printer and a scale because I do 
mail uh, certificates out to the children, and that's just an easy process of running through those. Um, and then I also have a lot of these spare batteries ready to go for my lavalier, and that works out extremely well for me, and it all comes together through uh, uh, the ATEMs I have. Uh, let me go back to that seven, and I'll move out of the way, and uh, let me turn off my camera again. And there you see I have an ATEM Extreme down here. I just added an ATEM foot pedal because I don't want my hands to be shown as I switch different effects. And then I add an ATEM Extreme up on uh, the side over here. Uh, that's designed when I move around. So I do move around a lot in my world and, and it's designed so I can be completely mobile in my world here. And then I can also work with the children through uh, a close-up environment here. So that's just using the Sony cameras. I have a, basically four Sony cameras. Um, I went with those because the, the autofocus capability, and that makes it extremely easy to make sure it stays in focus. So that's basically it. It's pretty simplistic, but it works, and it's a one-man show. Wow, it's a very sophisticated one-man show and very cool. So thank you, Greg. Appreciate your tour of Santa's workshop today. I wasn't expecting to get that. Uh, we're moving next to Guy Cochran. Guy, dive in. Hey, I'm at the top of the stairs at my house here. And so if we look down the um, hallway, so this is uh, at the top of the stairs. I'll just kind of bounce back and forth between my little nest here. So again, this, this is... <laughs> so you guys have never seen this before. This is where the, the stairs actually go down. So starting over here, we have um, the um, Aperture P300 up there on an auto pole. We have the uh, prompter right there. You can see with um, uh, the Z-Cam on it. And you're looking at behind of a LG Quad uh, 43. Um, yeah, you can kind of see I have some notes there on the right side, and I'll put the gallery view, and you can see Chris kind of messing around. Um, moving back, let me zoom back so you can kind of see. There's a there's a background light that's a, a mixed panel um, right there, and that's giving that background blue light. There's a uh, ring light here, and that one is uh, bouncing off that door to give me a little bit of fill on th this side here. So if if I was to turn that off, it's not really doing a whole lot, but you guys can see what it does. So that's the ring light with the bounce. Go back to the other shot. Uh, what else do we have? We have a hair light that's um, right here. This is just a little aperture MC light. It's like a little $50 light, and that's on a triad orbit arm, and I can kind of position that wherever I want. There is a zoom room here on this PC. Um, let me cut to another angle. So I'm running vMix, and you can see this angle here. Um, vMix is on this quadrant. Uh, this is a, another PC here. The Mac is over there, that kind of pink-looking one. The Roadcaster is here for audio. Stream Deck here, Stream Deck here. Can't really see it, but there's the laptop here. And then what else is here? I think we covered computers, lighting, camera, audio, teleprompter yeah that's and, and then there's a whole nother room uh over here that has five more computers that does uh the editing and things like that with the alienware and it's all souped up and got the 10 gig and uh 232 terabyte uh drives so very cool 
Nice. Uh, let's see who's next on the on the roof. Oh, Harshid. Uh, Harshid, dive yep. in. All right, let's go get Ruthless. Uh, well, here we go. <laughs> well, we are Ruth. Ruth didn't make it today, so we're without her. We're going to review this. So I'm going to try to point with my other camera, and if Bill wants to kind of give me a little guidance, uh, sure. Right I think now right we're now on a tight shot. There you go. Now you switch to the overhead. Excellent. Okay, so we're going to come. I'm going to bring the mic with me. Apologize for the mic movement. But in front of us, we should see an SSL2, which is hanging on the side of the desk. Um, simple uh, setup. I do run another show on uh, third Wednesday. So I have a, uh, a little uh, transformer box that has a cable uh, 3.5 headphone jack that I could plug into my phone to get audio. So that's basically just that setup. Before, I used to have a Yamaha, which is in its bag over there. But simple lighting I have in front of me. Uh, it's going to look blown out, but it's a Hue light bulb right there and a mixture of GE light bulbs. And the colors are Energize and Snow. So they give you kind of a whitish color uh, that makes it a little bit better than a warm white. And monitor-wise, just another screen over there in case if I need it. Um, and then, of course, you're looking at the Brio, which is set up on a little, uh, uh, what do you call it, a stand, I guess. And that has a quarter 20, so I removed a little piece at the back on the Brio, put a, pop it on at a quarter 20. And we got to learn yesterday, so hopefully people remember, it's roll, pan, trucking, and go watch yesterday's episode. And this is my setup. So appreciate it. And thank you so much. Very nice. Nicely done. And which goes to show you, I mean, a lot of us have a lot of money spent on this because again, we've been probably in the industry for a long time. And we've gotten a lot of stuff. And then there's the class of Doug folks who have whole trucks full of it. But Harshid's coming in on a pretty basic system, but still looks essentially as good as anybody else on the panel and has a lot to contribute. So the, the message here from Office Hours is that you don't have to spend thousands of dollars to participate on the panel at Office Hours. What you have to have is something to say and something to contribute and have a desire to do that. And so even if you have more modest things, he's working on just a Brio and um, an audio rig, and it's working perfectly well for him. So uh, we just want to emphasize that you're going to see, again, a lot of fancy fancy, but it's not always fancy fancy that does the job. But John Preto, our next target here, is pretty fancy. Let's dive into John's rig. Hey, Bill. Thanks. I uh, this is I'm in Studio C today. I like to turn this on for a ruthless review. Studio C stands for Chris Fenwick. This is where he broadcasts from when he comes to my house. And uh, I've got this set up. Is this is a Sony A7 III, and on the rear view here, this is a standing desk here, and I've got a Mac Mini with two big monitors in front of me. Uh, 5K LG, LG, and then a Samsung 4K monitor. And then I've got a Raspberry Pi over here fed into the switcher. So I can feed that into the switcher and show web graphics or whatever off of the Raspberry Pi. And then um, I've got the Stream Deck 32 here on the left. Um, and then behind me that you can't see, maybe if I move out of the way, I've got uh, ATEM Mini Extreme. And my favorite piece of gear, which I got from Guy, which is the uh, MixPre 10, because I've got these speakers. So I've got XLR out to both of my speakers. And then next to that, I've got a rack of gear. I've got a HyperDeck in there. And then I've got a web presenter. And I've got a DMX controller for the, you can see these pink pink lights, pink and ice blue. Um, 
And then over on the other side over there is my desk where you guys normally see me. So I sit over there. It's comfortable. Uh, but for high-end stuff, I come over to Studio C to do my real broadcasting. Any of the events that we do or anytime I'm on Tony's show, which was last week again, um, I broadcast from here uh, when I talk to clients. Hey, John, can you switch back to the previous shot? I just wanted to note for people, we're always looking for ways to hang things up so that they're kind of out of frame here. So if we can get back to, yeah, you notice that John has a piece of trust that goes across that he's got his lights mounted to. Uh, finding mounting points in particularly a room and particularly if you have a temporary location or something where you don't want to actually drill into walls or ceiling or things like that. He's using a couple of auto poles as kind of goalposts and then a truss bar across the top, which can be really useful if you have a lot of stuff of weight that you want to hang up on top of things. That's a technique a lot of us use. So well done, John. Good exactly. to see you, everything. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Uh, next, we're heading out for Mitch Hill. Mitch. Hey, Bill. Uh, Mitch Hill in my uh, little uh, passion pit control room here. Um, basically, um, it's like everybody's else is the basic uh, stuff. Uh, the one monitor, my uh, TV camera with the, uh, uh, the home stream uh, teleprompter, which allows me to use it like an uh, interrogator. And then I'll switch to my uh, Mac so I can roll it around. Uh, my, my mic processing done there with the, uh, the infamous AFEX unit. Um, above that is a uh, HyperDeck. I have another HyperDeck over here, the shuttle version and the ubiquitous uh, ATEM. And it's a basically, it's a two-monitor setup here where I've got uh, the TV camera in the center, monitor on one side, monitor on the other side, and then over here is my edit station where I do my uh, work um, on After Effects and Premiere. And if I keep moving around, we get to see the uh, uh, my, uh, my basic voiceover setup. I use uh, Adobe Audition for most of my stuff. Uh, my my very favorite uh, Genelec monitors there. Uh, there's a, a side light there for fill, and back over here is my key fill, which is uh, the uh, light panel device. And then behind me, if I go all the way behind, um, I have my server station where I have my music and my server stuff going on. My little meters there, which bounce around inside of me. There's a nice little. Uh, on-air light that pops on. And if I go up further, I have a very pole that goes from one side to the other. Notice that I have a block of wood there to keep me from punching holes in my wall. But it's also uh, secured on the top with some scissor clips. I have a let-go LED uh, screen that allows me to splash whatever color I need to have there. Elgato strip there. Um, hair light, be that as it may, in the back. Uh, my washer and dryer in the background on the other side of the door. So... Pretty much a, a small, compact, standard, one-man uh, band operating setup. But um, it suits me fine. And uh, if there's any questions, I'll answer them. But this is your basic uh, office hour Zoom setup. Okay. I think we're going to now uh, take another. Let's see. Why am I not seeing what I thought I was being? Uh, Tom Ferguson. Yes, Tom Ferguson's up next. Tom, dive in. Okay. Here we go. We start off in the the studio. I'll show you the overhead shot. Everything's within reach. I've uh, got my mute switch, Telestrator, HyperDeck, and then I switch everything off of an iPad using MixFX Pro. And it's all within reach. From there, we can move into close-up with the overhead camera. 
And then that little on. LED Christmas tree is adorable. Where'd you find that? <laughs> I built that myself. Did you really? Out of, a, out of a kit, yes. Well done. So here's the overall background shot. Uh, up here, we've got the Blackmagic uh, 6K in a teleprompter, a Gligear teleprompter. Uh, the key light is an Anlite 6C. Uh, from there, we go to, let's see here, uh, the test area. I want to point that out on the left-hand side of the desk. I've got power and then two little bitty uh, switches there that I can get to the inside network, which is the full network for my home, or just a test network, which is isolated, uh, able to work on all of that independently whenever I want to. Uh, we also then move up to uh, the clock. It uh, too is network operated, if you will. It's powered by ethernet and it sets its time through NTP. So it always stays synchronized and I know what time things are happening. But what you didn't see out of all of this is where the magic happens. So we'll move over here to the rack that I built over the last seven months. And while it has a lot of gear, most of the magic happens in the uh, top five rack units. I've got a mix effect, or I mean a, an ATEM uh, Extreme. And then underneath that is that HDMI device. That's a 16 by 16 matrix, and it allows me to switch around the entire wiring on what I'm doing here. And uh, I can move Apple TVs or HyperDex or cameras to anywhere I want to be. Uh, I've even got a Melee by Courtney in that rack. So you kind of get the idea. And then finally, let me move over to here. Above that rack is a mini split air conditioner. You can see how I uh, mount my PTZ cameras. I put them on Wano arms uh, and then just hang them off the uh, bookcases. And you also see there my hair light and my background light. So, Very nice. You actually have a question coming in from David Brady. He popped into this. David, do you have, what, what do you want to yes. ask? Tom, I was just curious about that HDMI matrix switcher. What's the brand and how does it manage or deal with EDID? Uh, does it store EDID on the devices or? Uh, it, it does very well. Or does it defeat I'll, EDID? I'll send you a link on it. It's uh, made by Wolfpack and uh, it just, it's kind of the hamburger helper to the whole operation here and makes everything work just great. Nice. Chris Fenwick has a thought about that too. Uh, no, Tom, uh, the drives in the bottom of your rack, what kind of drives are you using down there? I saw a bunch of raids. Uh, I've got Synologies down yeah. there and the drives themselves, of course, are the uh, Western digital red. Yeah. And, and what kind of media are you, uh, working with there? Is it, what, what kind of stuff are you doing? Okay. Uh, in the rack, I've got four different Synology units. 
One is my everyday files, everything from my spreadsheets or my income taxes, whatever, uh, and any media work I'm doing. Uh, second one is uh, my wife's favorite because that's the Plex server and keeps her entertained. And, uh, you know, we watch movies at night and we got rid of all those pesky DVDs and Blu-rays. So that's nice. Uh, the third one is the largest of the three, and that one is used to back up everything. I'm talking about individual computers uh, using Time Machine or even the other uh, Synology devices so that there is at least a second copy of what we're doing here. And then the fourth one is just a small two-disc unit uh, finally, it's just for test and playing around and scratch drive and whatever. Yeah, I was just curious. I, I'm shamelessly looking for a buyer for a 80 gigawatt uh, QNAP if, if if somebody was interested in. So anyway, curious. Thank you. And Preto has a question. And Tom, what's your technique to figure out what side is an anode or the cathode of the LEDs? <laughs> Oh, goodness. Okay, that's obviously a insider joke, and uh, we will treat it as such. We actually have a bunch of questions that have come in since then. Uh, so, uh, uh, Mitch, do you want to go ahead and dive into the first one here from Josh? That'll be from David Brady. He'll be stuck in for me. Sorry. Uh, from Josh Kaufman. Uh, Greg, how is your green screen set up, and what are you using for keying and video playout? So, Greg? Uh, what? Yeah, I use a, uh, I don't know if you guys ever been in a hospital and you see those curtain rods around each individual bed. Well, I mounted them above on my ceiling. I don't have a camera to point to them, but basically I have a 20 by 10 uh, green screen. I kind of chopped off two feet of the bottom, didn't need it, and I wrapped that around me. So that's the green screen. And then the keyer is the ATEM. I use the ATEM keyer to key out the uh, chroma key, and this is another just a chroma key background. So that's what I use. You're getting a really nice key off of that. Your hair is doing really well with it. So good job. There's uh, a lot of hair. <laughs> <laughs> you hear that. Uh, next question. We have another question from Chad Lafarge in Columbia, Missouri. Uh, Greg, he, I have the same teleprompter, but mine's starting to loosen and will not stay in the correct position. Have you had to address this issue? And how did you tighten this thing? Greg? Okay. Yeah, basically, it's a 5 8 inch uh, black pipe with a flange. It's an old desk, so I just screwed that flange in the desk, <laughs> screwed the black pipe in it, and put a uh, ball head on top of it, and that thing is solid as rock. I can actually pull myself up and down if I wanted to, and that keeps that uh, teleprompter just where I need it. And you didn't think plumbing was important in the digital yeah. age. Ha! <laughs> well done. All right. So plumbing pipe fitting. Uh, next question. Okay. We've got Josh Kaufman in Pittsburgh, PA, and he's asking, Doug, how do you prepare your trailer for transport? Well, I first uh, kind of secure all the things that are on the desk. Like this switcher panel uh, goes in its box. Um that that controller goes inside the pickup truck um but i secure all the desk first and then i take all the equipment and i store it underneath and then i just kind of push do my way from the front to the back of where things go 
Um, and it all depends on too the the type of production we're doing um, on what and how much stuff I need to bring. But um, you know, we're designed for live sports and live events, so most of the time it it is pretty much just bring it all. And if we need it, we need it. But I tell you, it it it's a packed house once everything is in here. And I had to get a brand new pickup truck too. I had to upgrade because the trailer got so heavy that my 1500 uh was struggling to pull it so this this thing weighs about ten thousand pounds um but now i have a 2500 so we're good to go but yeah it is quite the process jeff is it uh three people normally in there or four i didn't i don't remember in in here yeah when when oh. you're op- operating how many operators do you have inside the trailer to add people to oh we have like eight people in here eight people wow does that cause any issues in terms of airflow and and cooling and stuff like that did you have to deal with that there's two heater ac units in here um sometimes it's hard to keep up with with what's going on in here we do have an exhaust system in the rack that pushes hot air out um and then sometimes if it's nice enough we just open the doors but um yeah it does it gets quite full in here sometimes but it's the layout is really nice so because people can sit in the back and kind of watch over so sometimes we do have uh clients or um, i've had college students come in and watch a show before um so this how jeff designed the the back bench here um is is really nice because it's a storage unit but it also is room for seating so We have this place has been pretty packed before, um, especially on some of the college uh, days where we have like a, a class in here and we're doing a show. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Fenwick has a question for you, Chris. Hey, Doug, I was just curious. Uh, we've never really talked about this, but have you ever seen these demos about trailer weight distribution? And I was wondering, yes, I've, as I've, as you load your stuff, do you always think about how the weight distribution is? Yes, I've seen that video before, um, and I do definitely pay attention to the weight distribution. So, um, yeah, I try to I really balance it out. And um, yeah, I, I have uh, I've had a scary moment one time on ice, there's, black ice with the. There's trailer. nothing worse than videos of people, you know, dash cam videos of some trailer in the front. And you're like, oh my, and you'll it, you'll flip the whole thing and the truck and the truck that's pulling it. Yeah, you shouldn't be yeah. able to see your trailer out of the right or left hand side. <laughs> That's bad. You know you're in deep trouble. Uh, let's uh, dive into the next question, and we're getting well. We've got a couple more that have come in and turned. Uh, you know, we'll just keep going until we have them, and then we'll close it off. So, All next right. question. And this next one's coming in a little ruthless from Dennis Champion Walker in Mansfield, UK, and he says, "Bill Davis." You're looking very big in frame. You're looming over me on my 4K TV, and the top of your head goes out of frame quite often. Oh, I'm sorry. I must be uh, pushing the thing. I'm pushing the top of my frame. I will try to settle back a little bit. Uh, you know, I'm, I try to get in the Fenwick frame every day, but I really wasn't expecting to host today. And so I didn't have much time to reconfigure after a session yesterday in the studio. So hopefully, thank you for the note. And I will keep my eye on a little bit more in the past or in the future. Uh, and by the way, it's good to hear from you, Dennis. I hope you're feeling well. We miss you here in the early mornings. Uh, next question. All right. And Dennis is back with another zinger uh saying to tom ferguson your video is looking very yellow today Ooh, uh well panel you're gonna have to help me out here 
Uh, I did tweak it just a little bit on the uh, color correction here. After I saw this question, I moved it from 56 to 5400 on the camera. How do I look? I'm, I'm just hoping it's not malaria. Uh, Chris Fenwick has a comment here. I, I think my comment is, what is yellow and who is it yellow to? <laughs> Colors, perception. Anyway, um, thanks for the notes again. And let's move on to the next question. All righty. Our next question comes from Ike Potter in Hanover, Germany. Tom, can you control your Pavo tubes with the Nanlite RC1? I've got the RC1, but it seems not to work, even though I matched the channels. Is there firmware update? Is there a firmware update required for the Pavo tubes? Tom, can you confirm or die? Well, I'm not sure about the RC1. I use my iPhone, and the remote from there works just fine. And you'll have to check into that on the RC1 yourself. I'm sorry. Okay. Best we can do. Next question. Our next question comes from Kyle Hammond. Uh, does the panel power everything down, up every day, or monitor power consumption with their various setups? And uh, Chris Fenwick and David Brady are going to help us out here. And I've got the wrong place with my mouse, so I wasn't able to elevate them. I'm sorry, back-end crew. I will tell you, uh, Kyle, that all of my stuff runs off of one very consumer-oriented circuit. I don't even know if it's 15 or 20 amps. It's probably 15 because it's in a 55-year-old 45 year old apartment building. Um, I actually do power everything down, uh, everything but the but the server that's in the corner uh, to the QNAP for sale. By the way, uh, uh, I power everything down. I know some people don't, but I do. Okay, there you go. And David Brady wants to yeah, be in on this. I'm also in the power everything down, except for the camera, uh, the Z1 camera. Um, it's way out of arm's reach and I don't have any method of remotely powering that thing up, but yeah, power it down. And I get uh, con ed bills. So I, I agree. My, my, uh, uh, black magic six K has been on since the day I, I bought it. It's literally been on for like a year or something. Yeah. Well, it's good to know that it's still hanging in there. That's excellent. Uh, Greg, you had a comment. Yeah, I don't power anything down. Uh, all four cameras, all monitors, computers. Uh, the ATEM, I do religiously do a recycle of that before I start my day. That's about all that I power down. Okay, and Harshid? For my setup here, I usually let everything run, except for once in a while I will power down the laptop if I'm not specifically on it uh with like uh, with my mixer uh, that i had previously which is a yamaha mg10xu that was plugged in and when we had the hurricane i uh realized that i couldn't do anything because it's there's no electricity. And so I went to a USB bus powered uh, type of interface, which is SSL2. And I like that a little bit better because I could just plug it in through USB on my laptop and I'm, I'm good to go. If I need to take it on the road, I'm still good to go. So those are some of my uh, choices that I had to make uh, in that essence. And with the lighting, it's just regular ordinary bulbs. So uh, I cut them down if I need to, because it's a lot of heat and I live in Florida. Okay, Tom Ferguson. I leave everything up 24-7, except for the lighting, and uh, run UPSs, so in case there's any up, even a power problem. 
And in my system, everything's on switches except for the computer itself. So I turn everything off every day and reboot from cold every morning. So everybody has their own way of doing it. And it seems like it works for everybody. I notice another face in the panel that I had not seen before. Mr. Keith Lee, you have managed to sneak in just before we shut down the whole operation. How are you? What's happening? Whoops, we're not hearing any audio. We can see you, and it looks like you're outside and a lovely thing, but we're not getting any sound yeah, at this point. Great you weather. Are. How about now? There you go. You're up. All right, great. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, uh, been busy. Been busy. Uh, it's been a, a good uh, season, and we had a really good busy fall. And uh, so everybody was flexing about their setups and all. So we had a little extra time, so I thought I'd uh, take a little tour of the tour bus. What oh, so you're going to come in and Bigfoot everybody here. Okay, let's let's go for it. <laughs> we're all up for that. We're all here all right. for that, as the kids say. So I'm going to flip the camera around and then just do narration, all right? So let's see. Flipping. Uh, there we go. Keys in the door where they always go. Driver's spot and the front lounge. Front lounge also considered the master control room. And uh, this was all a tour bus before. Uh, it's in a person crew bus. So it actually had a... a this space here was all a couch, or uh, I guess you'd call it a couch more or less, just basically a long bench with cushions. It had this little dinette here, and then there was another couch over this direction. But we luckily found a couple of captain's chairs that are much more comfortable. So we have producers sitting those, both of them rotate around, and it's a lot more comfortable to have somebody as a buddy driver up front whenever they have a chair that they can sit in and not sit sideways. This is the main rack here. As you can see, uh, slightly populated with new tech gear and also our uh, our Dells, our wonderful Dells that we seem to have a lot of. And then down at the bottom is our IT rack, more or less, and patch bay. And uh, we also have and the, uh, the Dante uh, controller, DSP, that's at the very bottom, which is that, that unit there, the Symmetrics, the AGA is our SDI router. It's a 12G router, so everything's 4K in the inside of the truck. Uh, Monitor-wise, still love my LGs. So we have quad splits on both of these when everything's powered up. And then at the very top, some uh, inexpensive CTECs that are rack-mounted SDI, HDMI, whatever monitors, whenever we need to just do extra ISO feeds for each one of those. Uh, as you can see at the bottom on the desk are uh, two stripe panel for new tech for the tc2 and then one of our mark roberts controllers and it's associated surface that makes everything go there uh over here is a small double rack that is uh and everything's a mess right now because we're in the middle of remodeling everything but that double rack is just extra rack space whenever we have ccus and extra gear or as it is now with just a whole lot of uh, extra storage and drawers and everything. Uh, moving towards the back, trying to get a little bit more light. This is normally very dark in here. But this is the galley. This is uh, where we have drinks and uh, other beverages and sometimes food. And a couple of refrigerators. I see Pop-Tarts. I see coffee. Absolutely. You had me at Pop-Tarts. Yeah, we definitely have, uh, got to have the K-Rig. And then uh, we have a, an air fryer and then a regular uh, toaster oven and then up top here microwave and also uh, convection oven there and then there's storage everywhere uh, much like all kinds of 
RVs have, but this is not an RV. This is consider a coach. This is a big difference uh, as well as the build size and things like that. Uh, and this is a wonderful head as we call it in the business. Yeah. Looks like a toilet is a toilet, but it's one of the very few that actually has a shower inside. Uh, most tour buses do not. Uh, this is the bunks area. Little light, so you can see. So bunks wise, there is a total of eight in this one now. Uh, originally it had 12 and it would be three. So this is one up top, two would be in the bottom, three here, four here. Normally they're about the size of this one, which is above my bunk, which is a larger bunk because I own the bus. I can make whatever size I want. So I did. And that way I could sit up in it and see things. And then in the very back, it's currently just storage right now because we were in the motion of moving, is our back lounge, the rear lounge, which is another place to sit, relax, or as my son loves, play Xbox. So um, whenever he's out on the road, he likes to have a little getaway time, which is perfectly fine with me. So that's the basics to the bus on the inside. Nice little 45 nice. foot of space. <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, this is what happens if you don't control your gear acquisition syndrome tendencies. You eventually end up with a giant motor coach that used to probably carry a giant rock band around, and now it carries your operation. Very nice, Jeff. Thank you for the tour of that. Um, we're very close to the top of the hour, so I guess it's time to thank you all for joining in. Let's see what's happening coming up in the next couple of days. Uh, right after the show, by the way, it's Friday Tech Tackle, I understand. So at 9.15, so just in a little bit, you can join Tom Ferguson on his mission to inventory and present the community's gear guidance for panel grade results. Tom, uh, do you want to say anything about that before uh, we get to the show? Uh, well, we'll just meet with everybody. We're doing a good, better, best of every category and uh, trying to involve a lot of folks. Okay, so your opinion is required or requested at least if you want to get in on that. Uh, Saturday, we're going to be talking immersive media, looking at virtual and augmented reality for tools in education and training. Uh, Sunday, as always, is introspection day, a kind of a more casual and philosophical hangout. And um, thank you. This is the time to say thank you for everybody who took the time to show us their rigs and their their uh, operations today uh, to all of the panelists every day who show up and, and supply their expertise to everybody who's watching the show. We send a tremendous thank you to all of you, uh, the producers who set up the questions and feed the show and give us something to talk about. We appreciate you every day coming up with what you come up with. And of course, the staff in the back end as the credits roll here in just a second, you will see some of those names. Those people work tirelessly through the whole thing. And really without them, uh, we're always getting pings on our on our comms and things like that saying, uh, here's what's next, here's what's happening. And uh, it's calming. It's a wonderful thing to have people uh, coming in. Oh, I see. Do I see a bunch more questions that have come in? Oh my gosh, we do have a few more questions, but we're almost at the end and I've just done the close. Uh, is there anything here? Let's see. Behind the scenes, behind the scenes. Um, yeah, unfortunately, we're running out of time. So I'm just going to have to pull the plug and say thank you all for being here today. We will see you tomorrow on Office Hours for another event. And let's go ahead and roll the credits to finish up.
It's whisper time. Thank you all for being here. I appreciate it. I wanted to see Jeff's Tesla. Dang it. Oh, yeah. Jeff, is the Tesla still set up for switching? Of course. Next time we do this, you have to bring it in. 42,342 miles on the Talaluk Turvesal today. <laughs> We're also doing it. Thank you all for being here. See you next time. Yep. All right. Adios, amigos. Peace.